Hello and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Geraghty. On today's show, we're bringing you a conversation between Intercom co-founder and chief strategy officer Des Trainer and one of Europe's most prominent investors, Christoph Jantz, managing partner at Point9, a seed stage venture capital firm focused on B2B SaaS and B2B marketplaces. Des and Christoph sat down to chat about where the opportunities for new startups are in generative AI. So without further ado, let's head over to studio. Here's Des. Hi, Christoph. How are you doing? Hi, Des. Very good. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Whenever I see you, I'm always reminded that you're the first check into our arch rivals at Zendesk, and that's one of, one of the sort of funnier stories which I first heard of you. I'm guessing you have been doing a lot less help desks and a lot more AI over the last while. Is that right? Um, yeah, or maybe the intersection of the two, right? I, I think. Oh, right. Okay. I mean, probably a good topic for, for us to to, to chat about since help desk, like the, the customer support industry has a special place, I think in your heart and in, in my heart as well. It's what, it's really what got me into SaaS in 2008. Yeah. I think it's a, we, one of the things, probably the biggest thing I want to talk to you about is just how we, um, how to think about like where are the opportunities in AI where like if you're tra- thinking about entering customer support is it a rich area for an entrant or is it an area that where like the actually the incumbents have all the power uh, I think that's like probably the most interesting area to chat about you wrote about this uh, earlier uh, you have a post on medium and we'll link it in the show notes but the gist of it was like kind of a mental map of how you think about the opportunities so Maybe if we could just go back a little bit and say, so say it's like November 30th last year, ChatGPT has just dropped. Everyone's now realizing that generative AI is kind of here and, it, and it's not it's not fucking around, like it's pretty powerful stuff. How quickly did you react from an investment perspective where you're like, oh, wow, we need to, like, you know, was it obvious to you immediately, like, shit, there's going to be a lot of areas upended and we need to like reconsider uh, all of your investment ideas? Uh, or like, were you a kind of a, a slow believer? How, how did that play out? So for me personally, it's been a huge aha moment, like a, a wake up call, like to some extent, maybe an, an existential crisis, like a, a, lo- a roller coaster ride, thinking about the opportunities as well as the, the threats. Obviously, ChatGPT has been a success, like the typical overnight success, many years in the making, decades, if you look back at like what it's based on in terms of prior AI research. Um, but but nevertheless, I was taken by surprise seeing how well ChatGPT performs. And I think even people who have have been much deeper in AI have have been surprised too. So I actually feel a bit embarrassed that I was so surprised. Anywhere you see grants for a threat, you'll probably as, a, as an investor see grants for an investment, and then vice versa. If you see how the incumbents are pretty well defended, then you're probably not going to go and fund. What like just to like our audience is primarily about like startup founders and uh, folks who work in, in product and companies. What's an example of like an obvious this isn't going to work? Like is it as in like hey all the power is with the incumbent? We should not write a check here. Like, what, what's like you know the worst case sort of pitch you'd get? So I'm I'm happy to answer it and then mention some areas where I'm pretty skeptical. But I would I will also say that there will always be exceptions, right? So it's we, we never have absolute knowledge on, on anything and there will always be founders who prove things wrong and that's that's amazing and I don't want to discourage um, anybody. But I would say in those areas that are very broad and horizontal, like word processing, 
um, spreadsheets, note-taking, to-do lists, calendars, basically like the classical Microsoft Office package, which is now also like the G Suite. I think in these areas, it's very hard to compete for maybe relatively obvious reasons. Like everybody uses these apps already by Microsoft, Google, or, or Apple, essentially. They are either free or perceived as free because you, you get them as part of some kind of bundling. And I think there will be opportunities to win and maybe Notion is an example or, or Airtable, like based on that framework, which I'm talking about a little, those companies shouldn't exist, but they do. So there are always pointers to who bend reality, but it's probably an area where you need the cliche 10x better and cheaper product. Uh, like 50% better is not good enough to win against Excel or Google Sheets. It needs to be very, very different in, in some vectors. So it seems like there's two barriers there. One is just like, hey, it's hard to compete with these things because you're going up against a pretty fully featured and also effectively free product. So a sprinkling of AI or even a lot of AI just might not be enough to overcome the $0 price tag. Are there other areas where you're like, no, like the, the market is there, but I just think like, you know, so if we, you know, if we move away from areas like uh, say where the suite is a barrier, like the packaging is a barrier, are there other areas where you're like, hey, the future of, I don't know, something like expense tracking or the future of like Workday or tools like that is, is, is still pretty impenetrable for, for other reasons? Yeah. So I, I think I have a like medium, strong, weekly held opinion on this, like weekly held because I'm always happy to learn and be, be convinced of the opposite. But I, I tend to think that in those areas where you have a strong SaaS company, um, like Intercom or Zendesk in case of report or, um, uh, like in, in, in HR, you have like Factorial, Personio, like where you have a company that's not 30 years old, but maybe 10 to 15 years or 15 years old. I think those companies are in a great position to, to leverage AI if they are still able to move fast enough, which is probably not true for every company, um, but it is true for, for some. And, and you spoke about how you like led these efforts at, at Intercom. So Intercom is an, I like, I think a role model for a company that's already at a sizable scale, but still moving really fast. And I think, um, it's not so clear how a startup can find an angle of attack in these markets. I think the challenge oftentimes that folks overlook is um, it's not that it's impossible to find a way in which AI is really cool. And it could be like really powerful AI. But the challenge is you still have to go and build out everything else. Like, so if, if you like to look at Intercom and you say, right, you know what, they're not AIing hard enough. We can do more AI than them. Like, if you really want to rob a customer office, you still have to go and build a ticketing solution, uh, like a voice solution, uh, inbox, live chat, messenger, a knowledge base, articles. You name it, right? You have to do all that shit and then do your AI on top. And I think there are other areas where like, it's just more, um, like, more attackable because actually the AI forms the majority of the new product that you would build. Um, maybe to like, just sticking in, in the existing business area, what about this idea of like, we're going to build a co-pilot type solution for everything? Yeah. I think the 
this has pretty quickly become a pretty obvious idea, right? Like popularized by GitHub's Copilot, which as far as I know, was the first one uh, to have this, this, this label. And very quickly you had like co-pilots for, for everything. I think the concept makes sense in the, in the, in so far as I, I do believe there will be some kind of co-pilot or even autopilot, which we can talk about as well for every software, but it doesn't mean that it's an opportunity for a new company to to disrupt the existing players, like for some of the reasons you've mentioned. And to your point on all the things that you have to rebuild, um, I think if you if you keep that in mind, then maybe this idea of an autopilot is more promising. And the idea being here that you're not you're not, you're not even trying to replace something like Intercom, but you come in and tell the the customer you don't you don't have to any new software what you get from us is a virtual team member like a customer support agent or it could be a sales agent or an SDR or financial analyst who is being onboarded and trained to your existing systems quite similar to how you would onboard and train a human employee and that virtual team member will then take over a certain part of the job in in, in the beginning probably a little like whatever can already be done well enough with AI, but over time more and more. I think that's just a really interesting, quite fresh proposition. Um, but um, I think quite quite early on to tell how how this is going to work or in which markets it's going to work, because until recently this wouldn't have been possible, at least not if you want to be a high margin business. Um, and don't want to do it manually. Yeah, I, I think uh, I so I totally agree with you on the um on, on what we are like um our, yeah everyone's been studying this space pretty closely in terms of like like this company is like so let's say there's like adept out there who have a bot that can like drive a browser and can learn how to do recurring tasks that people have to do like enter a lead in Salesforce or whatever. I think all that stuff is like um is like we're it, that still feels like we're at the early stages of that like in that. I, like I, I know exactly what you're describing. I, I could totally imagine a a autopilot that like literally sits inside an expensify and approves or rejects expenses based on everything it knows about the expense policy and everything it knows about the expensify UI or something like that, right? That makes total sense. I haven't seen it yet, but like I, I feel feel like that's gonna be like the next sort of um the next wave of innovation will be this idea of like products that effectively run themselves. Uh, and you you literally your job is to train the bot and the bot actually does the work. And what's interesting to me there is like there's all sorts of like downstream implications around everything from like brand and differentiation right through to like pricing. So like the pricing thing is obvious. You're not selling seats anymore. And that's just a big change when you've got one megabot doing all the work. But the brand and differentiation is interesting as well because if no one's logging into these products, what is the product? Like it's almost like midware or it's like a, it's a background service running. You know, it's like it's not, it's no longer a thing. Like you're like, um, you're actively diminishing the role of the software in the company's life, if you know what I mean. All of a sudden, like, you know, you don't care who you're using for expense tracking. You just send an email and look away and it's all done. And that's fine. But then when something is so, so isolated and and still performing well, you would happily just plug and play. You'd swap, you, you know, honestly, that it's hard to see that not becoming like a race to the bottom or whatever, because 
it'll be like there's like there's no advantage to having beautiful UI. There's no advantage to having like you know like it, it's not obvious to me. Do you have a sense of in a world where like um where like increasingly large amounts of the product workflows are handed over to like you know autopilots or like megabots or whatever you might want to call them? How will customers go shopping? Will it just be a pure utilitarian sort of like who is doing the job best and that's who I'll pick and I don't care about anything else? And the, and there is this funny quote I think from a from economics professor at Harvard or something, it was said like people don't want a quarter inch drill; they want a quarter inch um, hole in the in their wall. So they are not Professor Theodore Levitt, if you're curious. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Your uh, I I think it this probably applies pretty well to software. I think businesses, in exceptions in some areas, creative tools and so on, but in many cases they don't use and buy the software because they are so thrilled to buy another software and to, to train their employees how to use it, they, they need it to achieve a certain result. And whether that's money in the bank, um, and if maybe they don't have to use an invoicing software for that, but they get money into their bank's account in a different way, they'll probably be quite open to it. Or they could probably imagine not using the software that their SDRs use for their email campaigns if they just get deletes, which is what they want. So I, I think this this is a promising strategy for new entrants, but I think you make some really great points. Like if you think about like kind of like try to think this to the to the next level or to the end, it's it's really hard to say. Yeah, exactly. That's that headless software is where I think um, well, I think if you extrapolate from what the patterns we've seen, it's quite possible a lot of currently pretty visible products will end up headless. And then it's just interesting to think, but what will be like that? What will be the primary software products of a company in like 10 years time or whatever it's at? Um, if we change direction for a little bit, along with just displacing and destroying and reinventing all the current sort of, you know, classic tooling of our world, there's also just brand new categories, right? Like there's new stuff, there's literal new things that are possible now that wasn't possible before. And you, you have some ideas around like what these are like, where my mind goes is like the entire say like Dolly space or like virtual videos that could be created and endless stories that can be animated and all that. This all just literally wasn't possible. And there will be products built out of these areas. How do you think about, about like just the, the brand new capabilities that are out there and which of them will actually be features and which of them will actually be products? I think this is actually the most interesting place to build new companies. Because, well, you don't have an incumbent that you have to displace and you you leverage like new technologies to build, to, to solve big problems, like in, in a way that it wasn't before until recently. So what, what can be better than this for, for a startup, right? Do we have, just out of curiosity, do you have an example of one that you're happy to speak about? Really looking for examples just to help people kind of understand the difference between like Slack with AI versus like, you know, what would what my portfolio be like, say, Synthesia, right? Where it's like, hey, generate AI AI powered videos based on like small video input, like literally wasn't possible four years ago. Exactly. So yeah, I think Synthesia is a great example, and another one in the generative image creation space. And our portfolio is a company called Mocker AI, which creates like virtual product foot photography. And um, interestingly, they started a couple of years ago with a. 3D model-based approach. So they simplified 3D CAD modeling and turned it into a virtual photo studio. That worked 
reasonably well, but it was still a bit too too hard to create the scene and place the object and get the virtual lights and everything right. Despite the fact that it, they made it much much easier compared to like um, sophisticated 3D modeling software. And then about a year ago, they started to play around with some of the image generation models. And initially, they were still a bit skeptical, like, will the quality be uh, good enough? But through just iterations over a couple of months, they improved it so drastically that the quality of the photos is now basically indistinguishable from real photos. And that's really something that wasn't possible before and and allows product marketers or marketers, people in online shops to create huge variations of variations of an uh, existing image, which is obviously great for A-B testing and all kinds of other things. Yeah. And another example would be a company called Siriact, which we invested in quite recently, which uses computer vision to power the pick and pack robotic arms. And they, they started out or they've been doing ML research for for many years, so like pre-LLM, but they are now using um, LLMs to build something which they call PIC-GPT, where you basically you give a conversational command and the model translates that into an instruction for the robotic arm. Those are really fascinating use cases and where we tr- it's where it's also really just hard like it's not only hard from an AI perspective also from a systems integration and sales perspective that's what I was going to say I mean, what I love the sound about that is that, like I believe it might be possible but more importantly I believe no one's going to be like oh we should do that like I'm always terrified of clever ideas that are definitely doable because all they need to do is just go viral on Hacker News and all of a sudden you've got 27 spin outs or like 27 copies of that idea each with their own sort of sort of variation no one's going to be like, oh, I'm, I might try and control a robotic arm. I, I have one of those on the shelf over here. Or at least like, it's like your, your competitive set so much smaller. If I was to sort of ask you to sort of express preferences, I'll just, we'll do this in a quick fire form. Are you more excited by like uh, new product areas enabled by AI or applying AI to existing areas? New, new, new areas. Like it's not black and white, but to answer your question directly, if, I, if, if, if you ask me this as a binary question, then I go for the new area. Yeah, yeah, and I'm kind. Of, I, I, yeah, I am kind of trying to force. You know, everyone's going to say, everyone's going to say the filler text, which is well, if you've been really interesting take on an area that's right for disruption, of course, I, we assume that. Verticals or horizontal? Verticals. Lastly, uh, hard or easy? Hard. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. So, like, and I, I, maybe your robotics example is is a great piece there, but also I would argue probably the the, the product mocker is probably also similar in that, like. It's arguable some of the biggest winners here will be only existing software. I think incumbents, when the AI is, how would you say, accessible and and it's obvious what you should do with it. So in customer support, you, you would say like, uh, it's obvious that people are going to build generative chatbots. Question, right? The real hard part is having a complete solution that lets like humans and AI work side by side together and making sure that like you actually fit within the support team and you're not just some like external kludge that's kind of wedged into the stack. But I think in general, like in well-established existing categories that have active incumbents who are like reading and reading the right tech blogs and following the industry, I think it's hard to imagine too many of those companies dying because they don't, you know, unless they have some sort of religious opposition to AI. Whereas I, I think in the other areas you describe, like say when you go into verticals, inherently you're going to bump into less competition usually. 
when you go into hard tech, you're going to bump into less competition. Yeah, and, and if you're building in like what, you know a new type of thing, this, you're almost you know the work you're displacing isn't a software product. It might be a team of photographers, or it might be a you know a a, a team of humans who lift stuff in warehouses or whatever. But like it's 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 rarely gonna be like, hey, we have to cancel our subscription to such and such and turn on our subscription to Mocker. Um, so like, yeah, I think that's an interesting uh, thesis. But to ask you then, like, uh, companies you wished that you had have invested in over the last year in, in this sort of generative AI space. There's obviously been some pretty hot ones. Are, are there ones where you're like, hey, like I wasn't even in the deal, didn't hear about it till it was done. But man, it looks like a monster company. What's your favorites in that regard? Probably Eleven Labs. Um, the um, the voice generation, voice cloning company, which we saw a bit too late, like when it was, when they had so much traction that they raised a, a large round, which so where they were too quickly kind of like out of the 0.9 sweet spot or sweet range. I, I think people still have different opinions about this company and this tech and if this will get commoditized and open AI is working on this and, and many others. So obviously the jury is still out, um, but it's an extremely impressive team, very small team built probably the world's best text to, uh, to speech engine. And I think if they just keep pushing it as they did in the past, I think they, they have a chance to winning something really big, despite the fact that it probably looks like a battle against all odds. If you go into a category where all the big players have their, their stakes and are also investing large amounts of money. How do you think about the sort of what we would call like the platform risk, like the idea that, hey, actually the next version of like the GPT-5 and the next round of ChatGPT will include a speak into the microphone for 60 seconds and will tell in your voice. Like that's obviously some type of, uh, at the very least, like a low end risk, you know, for like a casual consumer. When you're looking at opportunities, how do you think about like what what's going to get absorbed either into like OpenAI or into ChatGPT? Or maybe in the future, like into when we get there, into the operating systems, like as in iOS will do that natively. You don't need a you know post app to do it. How do you assess platform risk? I think it goes back to the points that you asked about, or that you made about hard problems, and in either verticals or in like very specific horizontal use cases. Um, I think the more specific the use case is that a company solves, or maybe maybe even obscure. I think the less likely it is that it'll be part of the next release of ChatGPT. I, I do think that, I mean, it's been a very, I don't know when this show will air, but it's been a very interesting weekend. So like the future of uh, the company OpenAI is maybe a bit less clear than it was uh, two or three days ago. Um, just for our listeners, I'll say we're recording this on Tuesday, the 21st of November, just so that everyone has the context of what we're talking about. But yes, I think it's a, it's, I'm less certain that OpenAI is going to like dominate the world right there than I was seven yeah, days ago. Exactly, exactly same here. And nevertheless, whether it's going to be OpenAI or whether it's going to be Microsoft plus Sam Altman or like something from Google or Facebook. So I think there will be very impressive products from the big players and they will target the end consumer, but also the businesses, including enterprises. So for example, like this use case, um, have a like talk to my data, like chat GPT for my company data. I, I'm a massive believer in this. I think every company wants this. I, I'm, I'm sure there is a huge pool. Like it solves this decade all like knowledge issue, but I'm not sure if it's 
like specific enough to be an amazing startup opportunity. Um, because I my my guess is that in one of the next versions of OpenAI, they will do this. Yeah, exactly. Or or the G Suite will just include it somewhere. Like ask the question of like who's working on blah blah blah. And the G Suite has access to like literally everything. And like the idea of you building all of those things or building a, an API that's some into the Google Drive that has advantages over Google just seems really really hard to penetrate. Right. At the, we're at the risk here of just saying like verticals are the best place to go. What's hard about verticals? I think maybe even if we forget about AI for a minute and we can come back to it uh, in a minute, what people have, um, I think, generally not liked about vertical SaaS, which made it at times difficult for us to raise follow-on financing for our vertical SaaS companies, is that the market size is somewhat limited. So we um, we invested at a company called Clio um, in 2009, which is legal practice management so it allows small law firms uh, to run their entire practice and for some time it was thought that the market is not not big enough because well you can count the number of lawyers in, in the us or in the industrial world and multiply that by what they might be willing to to pay and then you probably get to billions but not hundreds of billions um and i i think in many cases or for many markets, those investors have been proven wrong for a couple of reasons. I think one, those companies have a chance to get much, much higher market share. So there is a chance that ultimately a company like Clio will own maybe 40% of the market as opposed to maybe 2% or 3%, which maybe you would get in a, in a horizontal market. And then these companies, or some of them have also managed to continuously increase the, the ARPA, the average revenue per account, by just doing more and more for their customers over time, which is maybe a bit against the conventional wisdom of focusing on something. I think focus is important initially, but then... Yeah, you, you can grow it out, right? You can expand your sort of like, hey, well, that's solved more problems now that we have the customer base. That, that makes sense. I, I think like going vertical is like, what you trade off with in, in like total market size, because it's not like the hundreds of billion dollar market that a VC might want to hear it in order to justify the check. You you trade the massive market for, I think, a more direct uh, line to these customers. So if you just need to re reach dentists, that's a lot harder than reaching SMBs, five to 25 people. Like it's dentists, they all go to dentistry conferences and read dentistry blogs. Like, you know, it's like, it's a very attackable market. And then se uh, secondly, uh, you're almost always not bumping into like, for lack of a better word, like the cool kids of Silicon Valley. You know, like every YC incubator is not going to spin up 25 more businesses going after the dentistry area. But I guarantee you they'll spin up 25 more AI for image generation uh, startups or whatever. So, there, you know, it's almost like if you're willing to dial down your ambition, you can dial up your expectations of hitting the ambition because you're probably going into like an, an open sort of market where like they're all ready to pull the product off you. No, absolutely. That's, that's, those are some of the reasons why we really love these vertical markets. And they, the companies that we know of, they, they usually don't double year over year for many years. So they tend to grow a bit slower because the market is not infinite in terms of size or maybe because some of the verticals are maybe lagging behind in terms of tech adoption. But we've seen that they have an, some of them have just an amazing persistent so they just keep growing 
30, 40, 50% year over year. And if you do this for 15 years and you just never stop, you end up with a pretty, pretty sizable business as well. My last question on the sort of tactics of investing, are the check size is different in a world of generative AI? Like, and, and, and is your concerns around margin different? Like knowing that a lot of money is going to go straight through the startup over to Anthropic or OpenAI or whoever, and that the margins that you might've been used to like 80, 85% SaaS margins, that might not be ca the case if every single customer interaction is like round trips through a server that's through some pretty expensive this is definitely a topic for some of the companies I'm I'm working with. Like they, like sometimes they are able to build a feature like in testing or in beta works really well, but it only works really well with GPT-4, which however is in, in some cases just too expensive, right? So then the one possibility, one possibility, but also a challenge is maybe you can make it work with GPT-3.5, which it's much, much harder. The quality is not as good out of the box. In a lot of cases, I see startups just be like crossing their fingers and just be like, it'll get cheaper. <laughs> you know, that, that, I like, yeah, that, that might be a valid strategy, you know? I, and I, I think that's actually a pretty good bet to make. I mean, you have to think about timing and maybe you're willing to accept lower gross margins or maybe even negative gross margins if, if you have the funding and if it's a, if you want to claim your space as long as it can become a viable business based on certain assumptions for cost reductions, because I think the costs are going to get down, right? And, and on check size, do you just, like, are you happy enough to just, I guess, like, accept these businesses need more money and therefore for it to be viable, we have to give them more and maybe that changes ownership percentage, maybe it doesn't, but like, you're kind of, you're aware that like, Two million into a generative AI startup isn't actually as big as it sounds these days, right? So, with the companies that we've invested in, I think with one exception, none of them plan to spend like millions or tens of millions on on compute, um, uh, because they the most of the companies that we invested in are not at like the foundational level or, or close. We're not training models. Yeah, they 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 do some training, but not as High intensity. Okay. Last kind of general question. When you look forward into 2024, I mean, I presume you're probably still active enough for the rest of this year, but I know generally it starts to die around now. Thanksgiving starts, et cetera. People start to like dial down their expectations and fundraising will pick back up. Do you have any, any sort of either projects at point nine or any ambitions or any, any startups you're very keen to like sort of find next year? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're definitely active. We're looking at interesting companies right now and i think we'll continue to see interesting companies in the next months and the next year but it's somewhat hard to predict for us right and we don't have a quota or a goal of making a certain number of investments uh, we're we're open for for business so to speak but that means that sometimes we don't make an investment for two or three months but then sometimes we might make five in a in, in a quarter Okay, cool. Christoph, thank you so much for the conversation. It's been a lot. We'll link up all your details in the show notes, including your mental model for investing in AI. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Des. I enjoyed it as well. I hope you enjoyed today's chat. If you did, why not recommend it to your friends or followers on social? You'll find Intercom, Des and Christoph on Twitter and LinkedIn. As always, the links are in the description. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.